Hi guys, we just got done with interviewing Bill Vanderbush. By the way, that's a great last name. Yes. Can you imagine if your name was Jason Vanderbush? Well, it feels like money. <laughs> so he uh, he's based out of Florida and just a great guy. And we, we were able to talk about so many different things. We talked about the nuance of inclusion and what that actually means and what the good news is and oneness and unity and... I mean, Bill's just such a smart guy. He was integrating so many different things. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant thinker, uh, incredible communicator, uh, and just an amazing fellow, too. Just uh, really down to earth. Had a chance to get to know him uh, just about a year ago. And so grateful for him, thankful that he came on here. This is, uh, we went long, like Bill was just flowing. And so this is actually going to be a two-parter, but we'll release them together. And uh, we know you'll be encouraged. He actually does speak about what we've been going through, through quarantine, and, and he addresses fear. But he, he comes at it from a really, really, really refreshing and, and encouraging and maybe even somewhat challenging yeah. angle. So excited about it. It was just a really great interview, and we had a lot of fun. So we hope it blesses you guys. Yeah, bless you guys. How you doing, man? It's good to have you here. <laughs> it's good to be here, Jason, man. Thanks so much. I already asked you this before we were recording, but I know you're not you're not wearing your uh, Reformers hat. I'm wearing my Reformers hat, and that's where I met you, at a Reformers gathering uh, with our good friends, mutual friends. Uh, and I want to start off by mentioning their names because I love them so much. But uh, John and Tiffany Matthews, who pastor the gate, and I know you're good friends with them as well. But I met you last year at the Reformers gathering and have been just amazed by you since, man. Man, thanks so much. And I, I got to say, John and Tiffany, uh, John and Tiffany were actually with us down here in Florida. And uh, we we like to say we closed down Cocoa Beach and Disney World because we were there the day before everything went to lockdown. And uh, and so, you know, that's a that's that's a nice memory, you know, to have with those right, guys right. just to close yeah. the park down, you know. Yeah, those guys are great. And the Reformers Gathering, uh, I, I feel like that there's, you know, there was so much on the, on the life of just even the name of the Reforming. I don't have my... Yeah. By the way, I have uh, my T-shirt says "Product of Grace," and I left my Reformers hat in the other room today. So, because <laughs> it's the first time in, in a few days, I actually, you know, don't need to wear a hat. But uh, <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. You yeah. shower. It's quarantine life, man. It's <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But th those those guys, uh, they spark something. And you know, the first year, I think this this year, I'm supposed to be doing it with Randall Worley, and and yeah, so. The Reformers Gathering initially uh, drew uh, a large crowd of people who had never heard any of the speakers, and they were just compelled by the word reformer. Right. And when we realized this, we suddenly had a, a, a revelation that there was there was nobody in this crowd, you know, that that was familiar. I mean, like right. a handful of people or whatever that that you know would we were comfort were comfortable raising their hands in worship. The vast majority of this crowd was just standing there, jaw dropped and staring as to what was going <laughs> oh, on. Wow, they, they were thinking we were they were coming to you know hear all about you know modern neo Calvinism. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And here we are dropping revelation, and oh my goodness, it was fun. Yeah. That was yeah, great. I remember. John tell, will tell the story, uh, but I was in the room at the time, so I can attest that it's true. But in the middle of the worship service on the very last night, uh, I mean, I'm saying in the back, just kind of like prepping my heart and getting ready to get up and, and get going to speak. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the worship service, everything went quiet. And uh, Tiffany Matthews was leading worship that night. And suddenly the sound filled the room. 
And I thought, I actually looked up and I looked in the back corners and I thought, what a cool effect. It's almost like they in this round sound right, effect. Right. I mean, the difference between what was happening before and, and what happened was like the difference between mono and stereo was unreal. And I looked around like, what is that? And on the stage, they're looking at each other and the guy at the keyboards, because yeah. the closest thing it sounded like was a keyboard sound. It was like voices, but um, such a massive voices that you could hear like this harmonic resonance to it. It was unbelievable. And yeah, it like yeah. felt like it went all through you and everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And they turn around, look at the guy on the keyboard. <laughs> Travis, yeah. And if you look, watch the video, he lifts his hands like, I'm not doing anything. I mean, and the place erupts, man. It's almost like people responded, like their spirit responded. Yeah. And and literally everybody in the room that I could see was just having a right? like yep. a visceral yep. reaction <laughs> to what was happening, including, you know, all of the people that were there for, you know, um, for the Calvinist <laughs> talk. Yeah. And, mm. But afterwards, um, everybody gets together. I mean, that was a special, special night. It was an incredible, incredible night. One of the easiest and most uh, amazing nights of teaching I've ever done. And and just been a part of, I mean, I felt like I was just riding a wave that just didn't quit. And uh, at the end of the night, John pulls us all together and, and with the worship team and goes, guys, what happened there? And the, the guy on the soundboard said, uh, there was a sound. It was wow, in wow. the room, but it wasn't from us and it wasn't coming through the sound system. Wow. And we all, stood there staring at each other. Like it wasn't until after the fact that we realized what happened. Oh yeah. The gate is a special place and prophetically. So super amount of honor. To yes, it is. I would recommend, I don't have the dates, but we'll put them on the end of this. I know the, the gatherings happen in this, this year again, you and Rand will be there. I'll be there as well. Hanging out with you guys and so excited. Uh, absolutely love it. I, I, I'm going to start right right here. Sometimes we start with, man, what's your favorite taco? But we'll get there because this is Rethinking God with tacos, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, let's dive in real quick because we're, we're talking about the gate. And, and the first time I heard you speak um, was uh, was last year. And I have and you, you, you told a story. And I'll probably have you tell the story. But I've used this several times now when I preach. The first two times I gave you credit, Bill. And, uh, and then yeah, whatever it is, it, it now belongs to you. It now belongs to me. I did actually redo it at the gate a little while ago and I had to re-acknowledge that it was yours because I knew some of them had been there, but, but, uh, you had everybody close their eyes and, oh, wow. and you uh, said, picture a throne room. And if you want to take this over, cause I've used this to, to start messages and man, the places we've gone. Do you want to tell a story? Or you want me to tell it? Yeah, no, I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your, your, uh, your take on it. Because it has been picked up and carried by a lot of other people, and uh, and I love what they're doing with it. Like you're talking about, you you open things with it. I close stuff with it. So I'd love to hear your perspective. And you've heard me tell it before. So yeah, yeah, this would be fresh for me. Yeah, and I have opened with it because for me it creates um, this beautiful um, uh, tension mm. uh, and, and expectation. And obviously, you have to know the room you're in. But you basically shared. You had us all close our eyes. And he said, I want you to picture a throne room. And and I've probably already made some of this mine, but uh, I want you to picture a throne room. Uh, it can be anything. Uh, and so everybody closed their eyes. I closed my eyes. And then you said, okay, in the throne room is a throne. And upon the throne is our father. And then you, you, you added uh, one more piece of information. You said, okay, now you're in the throne room. Uh, where are you in the throne room? You can be anywhere. It can be any type of throne room. You can be anywhere in the throne room. And uh, then you had us all open our eyes. And then, you know, you went through this list, and I love to go through this list. Okay, how many were on the outskirts of the throne room? Maybe at the doorway, P2, 
peeking in. And of course, lots of grace in your heart. Hands would go up. Oh, that's a good place to be. How many? How many were inside the throne room, uh, getting closer to the to the throne, trying to trying to see what's going? Uh, hands go up. Oh, that's a great place. How many were right at the feet of the Father, just worshiping there? And uh, hands go up. Uh, and then I said, uh, I say, and you said, uh, how many uh, were sitting? at the right hand of the Father. Now, when you said this, that's where I was. I was like, yeah, I'm at the right hand of the Father. And I thought I knew where you were going, man. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it, Bill. Preach it, man. Right, right. And, uh, and I'm like, yes, yes. And you said, oh, that's so good. And then you said, now, how many of you are sitting on the throne with him? And when you said that, man, and just saying it now, I got chills because it was a new shift again where I was like, oh, my goodness. He prays that we would be one. And you just painted a picture of where I can actually sit in a throne room. Mm -hmm. I'm not the creator. I'm the creator. That's not what you were saying. But but you were inviting me into a greater revelation of what oneness looks like. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, man, I've started several messages doing that. And then I close with it again uh at, at the end and, and anywhere you are in the throne room is a good place but you actually have been invited into this oneness with him and i would love for you to take that uh, and expound upon it maybe show tell us some of your stories and, and maybe some of the testimonies around that idea yeah yeah well you know uh, the idea that we're one with god in christ by the power of the holy spirit and he did that is sort of the core value to me of the gospel uh if you if you walk the walk of the gospel to its its most uh, dramatic conclusion. That's where you find yourself. Mm. Yeah. It is at, in a place of reconciled union at rest in the heart of the Father. And um, it, it the whole idea, you know, that you just laid out so beautifully, uh, and that's exactly you know how I walk it um, is is not without scriptural merit. It actually comes straight out of Revelation chapter three and verse twenty one where Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne mm. as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. So you begin to realize when Jesus said in John 14, 20, in that day, you will know I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. He's just basically given us a mind tripping end of the journey. glimpse <laughs> of the, of the of the totality of the finished work of the cross mm. accomplished, and, and when you realize that, you know now you're confronted with with a strange paradigm shift, especially if you have uh, grown up holding and clinging on to your depravity as a way to stay humble. It's right. a false humility that's actually rooted in spiritual pride. Yeah. Um, the idea that I can be so independent of my own Creator that my unrighteousness can actually overpower his holiness. You know, and the, the idea here is, is when I recognize my union with him, to know that if a holy God comes and takes up residence in unholy, messed up me, one of two things is going to happen. Either right. he's going to lose his holiness or I'm going to lose my sin. <laughs> and so it forces me. I mean, this Revelation 3.21 uh, John fourteen twenty forces me yeah. to rethink who I really am from heaven's perspective. Yes. I know who I am from my perspective, right. but I will let go of everything I think I know about myself 
to come into agreement with what the father's always believed about me. Mm-hmm. And therein lies to me, like, I think this is the fruit, the fruit of, of this Christian walk. I think we have one quest in this life, just one. Yeah. Yes. And that is to find out what the father has known about us from before the foundation of the earth <laughs> and to agree with that. Oh man. And, and if, if, if it requires me to let go of a lie uh, and embrace a truth, to unlearn an old paradigm, to lay hold of a new revelation, as uncomfortable as that might be, I find that that's the trajectory that I move in the kingdom from glory to glory. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm positionally already there in, in Christ, mm. but my perspective is being shifted and changed. Um, I, I'm, I, am, I am undergoing, from where I'm standing, I'm undergoing what feels like a process. And it's a process of awakening and ever-increasing uh, glory and ever-increasing awareness of what he has always known and what he's already done and already accomplished. Wow. And I feel like um, a dear friend of mine, Ted Decker, says, uh, he says, it's all alignment, Bill. It's alignment. It's just, you know, God has a God has a perspective and we have a perspective and it's out of alignment and we're wow. hoping that he's going to change his perspective to mine, but that doesn't do me any good at all. Mm. Uh, in order for something to happen in me, my perspective has got to change. Yeah. And so I've got, to, I've got to get aligned with his. So, and, and, here's, and here's the other thing about it. You say, well, wh- where's, my, where's my will involved in this? I realized this some time ago that God, you know, he creates everything by his word and his word creates worlds. And so he can, he can create the universe by just by breathing a word. Uh, it's the power of the declared word. The resonant frequency of the word of God literally shapes the universe. Wow. But here's what I find, and that is that God will not bend your will with the power of his word. Wow. He simply uses his word to invite you mm-hmm. to a place of, of, of surrender. And in that place of surrender of my will. I, and again, it's just obedience to the voice of the Lord. Yeah. Not, it's not disciplined into a place of holiness. Right. Holiness becomes a byproduct of surrender. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I've, I've come to see it over the years, but I still feel like I'm on a journey. I'm constantly learning and growing and, and, uh, uh, and finding myself daily, daily challenged, you know, and it doesn't mean that, um, uh, it doesn't mean that God uh, doesn't have the prerogative of bringing correction into my life. Right. You know, I still I still get to make a choice on what I think about, even in the new covenant. Fully reconciled with God at rest in the heart of the Father and whatnot. You know, Paul writes in Philippians, whatever things are true, lovely, pure, right. good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, think on this stuff. So even, even united with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, I still have the ability to choose what I think about. Yeah. And if I dwell on something long enough, then I give the affection of my heart to something based upon the fact that I've given my attention. Whatever has my attention has my affection. Yes. So if I, if I give attention to something that doesn't reflect alignment with the heart of God long enough, I can find myself going blind in my perspective to the fullness of what he's done. I can get back into dead religious works. I can go back into like the, the, the endless yo-yo cycle of repentance and you know, uh, going to an altar, repenting, I, yeah. you know, we've yeah. been, I know you and I've been there. So, uh, and, and the hamster wheel of religion, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
uh, or, or, or creating uh, a sense of unworthiness in my own heart, in my own mind. Uh, toward God. So again, there's something there's something to be said for what I choose to think about. When and if, even in this new covenant reality, if and when I give my affection or my attention long enough to something that's outside of the the value system of the heart of the Father, that yeah. doesn't reflect the kingdom, yeah. uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, right? Yeah. If it doesn't reflect those things, then what ends up happening is I find myself being corrected by by the Lord in my own spirit, I, I can still feel under grace in the new covenant. I can still feel conviction, and you know Hebrews talks about it like um, where it says, uh, "Who he loves, he chastens." You know that he disciplines every son, right? And and I begin to realize, you know, the way that I deal with my kids is is I can I can actually speak to my kids forcefully only because yeah. they know that I love them, right? Yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't you can't discipline an orphan the way you can a son. Hmm. You can't correct an yeah, orphan good. in the way that you can correct a son. And and people have said, you know, oh well, you know, don't you don't preach, you know, Bill, you don't preach messages that are like super challenging and like <laughs> cause us to all to be convicted and wallow on the floor in our sinful condition. And I say, put me in front of a room of sons, and I have no problem doing that. Wow. But by and large part, when I get in front of a room, you know, even in spirit-filled circles these days, yeah. I look around the room and I feel the Holy Spirit say, you know, you 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 can't you can't deal with orphans harshly, Bill. Wow. And so it's almost like we have to be overly gracious. Yeah. Because you know, here's the thing about correction: correction from the heart of God is what validates our sonship. Yeah. You know, That's if, good, bro. If the father can't come to me and and speak a word of correction into my heart, how do I even know that I'm a son? Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, and 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 the, and the Lord will lead with grace and gentleness because we are letting go of the orphan, the slave mentality, that mm-hmm. Egypt that's been stuck in us spiritually for all those years. You know, we're letting go of that so that He can bring us into a place not to where He can suddenly get harsh with us, but to where He is able to actually uh, uh, speak to us in a way where. No matter um, no matter how brutally it seems like it seems like he's shaping uh, and honing my perspective of alignment, I know that I'm being loved in the process. Randall Worley says it like this: um, for sons and daughters, that when God punishes you, He does so by loving you more. Wow. Everything He's doing is actually from a heart of love, and you're just like, hey, more of that. Get, so, yeah, you know, for for those out there who are, who are just like, oh, you know, Bill, you're all about grace, a hundred percent. I feel like a grace that leads to a, a, an intimacy of sonship with the Father. That that's the that's the authentic path of grace that God has had me on lately. It's it's yeah. it's really been beautiful. Wow. Hey guys, just a quick break to let you know that you can find Thomas and I on a family story. You can also sign up for the mailing list where we release weekly articles, uh, monthly message podcast, and then we keep you up to speed on any opportunities, teachings, uh, travels that we're doing. You guys can check out my Instagram page. I'm posting stuff on mental health, wholeness, inner healing. I also do a good amount of work with the Enneagram and I'm, I'm gonna be doing a couple of Facebook Lives here coming up. My Instagram handle is my first name, my middle initial, and my last name. So that's Thomas F. Floyd. And mine is Jason Clark is. Jason Clark is. Yes, yes. Is what? Is there? <laughs> is whatever you need him to be. Jason Whatever Clark you is. want him to be. Yeah, so go to familystory.org or check out our Instagram handles for more content and information. Bless you guys. We'll get back to this podcast.
well, Bill, when we we haven't met face to face, but I just remember when Jason and the Clark family uh, went to the reformers gathering. All I heard of for the next two weeks was you got to hear this guy called Bill Vanderbush, and uh, <laughs> they're just talking about just your message. So mm. I started following you on Instagram, and uh, but I've uh, from afar I've been I've been a fan, so it's a real treat for for you to be here. But one of the one of the things that you're talking about and that I keep hearing is this, you know, the message of oneness and of inclusion. And, you know, those are kind of the things that Jason and I have also kind of been trying to run after and in this podcast and even even outside of the podcast in our conversations. Have you always believed these things about oneness and unity and being included? And can you maybe tell us a little bit of your journey about how you've you've gotten to where you're at today? Yeah, no, I, I haven't, I haven't always, and thank you for your time, by the way, I haven't, I haven't always, um, uh, I, I used to be a hellfire brimstone preacher, <laughs> and I could fill an altar through fear. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I mean, I learned from, you know, some of the greats, you know, who are dear friends of mine, you know, things like, you know, Jesus could come back by the time I count to three. And, <laughs> you know, if your life is on the line, you get up to this altar now and, mm-hmm. and suddenly the altar is packed with people that are just terrified, you know, and, uh, and what I began to realize, I think probably one of the first steps it was for me was that people who came to a relationship with Christ through an unhealthy fear of impending punishment, uh, they lived powerless. Yeah. They may be disciplined, but they were powerless. Mm. And uh, principles is what they began to adopt, but they were scared to death of presence. Any experiential relationship with God was to be avoided. And I realized what we were just doing was creating another, another form of um, kind of a kind of a new covenant mindset of children of Israel, circa uh, Exodus 19. You know, we don't want to hear God speak. You go talk to God, Pastor. You come back and tell us what He says, but don't let us hear Him. And and so. Um, uh, I realized if you birth people into a relationship with the Lord uh, from a place of love, here's the interesting thing. Less people res- will respond, but the ones that respond will have such a radical transformation that they will they will walk as brokers of grace. Right. And the miraculous uh, uh, power of God will start flowing through them like, I mean, crazy good. Wow. Um, but you know, here's something that's been, I, I would, I would say, you know, people say, Bill, are you an inclusionist? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> believe Christ died once for all there, therefore all died. Second Corinthians five, you know, right, right. Everything Christ reconciling the world to himself. Uh, um, and the way he did it was by not counting your trespasses against him. So, you know, who did he reconcile? Well, everybody, you know, but the way, the way that I've come to, I guess, you know, I just, uh, here, here's the thing. When I preach inclusion, I don't preach it in a way that subverts the human will. Because I do think that God will allow us um, to, uh, he will honor your will to self-destruct if you so choose to. Because it, it seems like the Lord has a huge, huge value for freedom. Otherwise, he would have taken away our ability to say no on the cross. Yeah. But there's something about love that can only be experienced in the context of being chosen. So therefore, the choosing, you know, uh, you know, the cross, I say, is the eternal I do of heaven over humanity and the grand wedding ceremony of the ages. And we uh, we can have um, we can we can know that we're fully included and loved and accepted. But until I turn and say I do back, 
I don't begin to enjoy the fruits of that acceptance or that covenant. Right. I, I don't so even, I, you know, I don't even know that the covenant exists mm-hmm. until I turn around and I align my perspective with, you know, okay, you chose me. Well, I choose you back, you know, and now all of a sudden I walk in a completely new, a new life. And, and I, I realize, and this is why I still give invitations at meetings because right. there's something about that point of decision not that the person says it's my decision that saved me. It, it, they'll say it's my decision that caused me to, to realize I'm saved. <laughs> I didn't know that I was. Now I know. And so instead of walking out of alignment with the heart of the Father and living in, in, under a false identity that God didn't give them, they're now finding themselves. It's like I got saved on this day. You, you know? Yeah. You realize. You realized what Jesus did. Not just 2,000 years ago, but the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You realize the fullness of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so um, so that's that's kind of the way I preach it. And with that in mind, you know, I've seen more people come to Christ and solid, like uh, people have solid conversions and, and, and really just a healthy relationship with the Lord in the last probably five years than I've seen, you know, years previous in terms of like people that, that, that stick it out. It's, I mean, this is right. like, you know, and, and don't, and don't waver. And yeah. I mean, you know, all that stuff. So I really feel like to me, there's a new covenant evangelism that this, mm-hmm. this entailed that um, one of the things I'm really trying to, you know, talk to my friends, colleagues and whatnot about uh, because so many of them, when they embraced the grace of God, you know, really stopped inviting people to come to Christ. And, uh, and people would walk away from meetings. They would be somewhat enlightened, but, but there was nothing, uh, in a sense, it would be like, you know, they, they couldn't really tell you exactly, um, exactly what part they played in it. Right. You know, as, as if it was preached, um, that there's no works involved at all. So therefore you're not even a participant. Right. And I realized in John 14, 20, you know, when Jesus said in that day, you'll know I'm in the father, you are in me and I'm in you. He was saying three specific things, you know, you'll know I'm in the father. In other words, I am the father one and you are in me. Okay, great. I disappear into him. He's the one that takes preeminence, but I'm included and brought into him. Great. And then he says, and I am in you. Wow. It's that last part that tells me I don't disappear in this equation. Yeah. I actually matter. He didn't just make me because I'm a hobby, you know, and, and I'm just to be hung on the wall like a piece of art. He, he, he created me to co-labor, to partner with, to commune with him because he has a value for family and relationship. Therefore, actually matter in this equation for what I think and what I do actually matters. That was the part that really caught my attention. And I suddenly realized, oh, I'm not just a passive member of this, of this right. family. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a part of this thing. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, again, it doesn't bring me back to a place of works. Uh, I don't rely on my works to be saved, but I will say it like this, that I think that the finished work of the cross is the gateway or the access point to the greater works that Jesus told us were possible. Amen. And if a person grabs a hold of inclusion and says, well, there's no more work to do, I, I agree with that in terms of your salvation. Yep. But don't tell me I don't get to do something. You know, it's, I mean, right, right. <laughs> I, I came to a revelation of this and then for the rest of eternity, I just do nothing. Right. No, no, I feel that, you know, grace as an empowerment to walk out 
uh, uh, the works of righteousness that can change the world and shift the course of human history. Right. You know, I look at, I look at Paul, um, uh, you know, the, a quick, quick example. Yeah. The disciples, the disciples uh, uh, get a word from Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? So they have a word from the Lord, go into all the world. Right. They heard him say it. They know now he's he's the son of God. His word it gives them license to do whatever, right? So they can stand on the strength of that word and go do whatever they want. Then you get the Acts and you realize the Holy Spirit, it says, forbids them to go into Asia. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus said go into all the world. <laughs> but that word didn't, didn't negate the necessity to stay connected to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the moment that they're standing in. So even though they had a license to go and do pretty much anywhere they wanted to preach the gospel, in that moment, the Holy Spirit says no. So what do they do? Do they, do they grab a hold of that, that word and go, no, we're not going to listen you know, to what we feel like the Lord's saying in the moment. We're going to hang on to this word. We're going to press through it, and we're going to go to Asia anyway. Hmm. You know, but they don't. And then in Acts 19, Paul goes to Asia, stays in one place, and preaches the gospel for two years in the school of Tyrannus. And there's an interesting verse there that says, and every person in Asia heard mm-hmm. the word of the Lord. Wow. So you think about that. They they heard the Holy Spirit say, no, not now. And then when the Holy Spirit pulled the trigger on it, said, now go. In two years, without the aid of social media, websites, marketing campaigns, yep, yep. or anything, every person in Asia heard a prophetic word from the Lord. I just, I find that to be fascinating. Yeah. So it, it teaches me, even under a new covenant um, revelation of union and inclusion and grace, that I still have the opportunity to listen to and walk in surrendered obedience to the word of the Lord. Yeah. It, that's, that's the greatest weapon that I have in this included existence, is still to live in that place of surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. Wow. Anyway. Wow, that's a lot I know. No, that's that's really good, Bill. <laughs> Man, I I, uh, I had a couple of thoughts and then a question. Uh, first, uh, yes, the, yes, he values free will. I mean, if he didn't, there wouldn't be two trees in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it, it's how love works. Uh, you can't have it without the the ability to choose or reject. And uh, it's 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 his. That's who he is. And I and and so I love that you focused on on the importance of free will. And then um, and then the, the second part of that is 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 this idea that um, that, they, that there's these moments in our lives. Like I I was born a Clark, but I didn't know it for the first few years. You know. <laughs> uh, and, and I was too young. I didn't understand it, but I knew love. I knew I knew acceptance. And then there's these, there's these miles markers, these milestones in my life where where my maturity came into a place of understanding, where I got a hold of not just that I was a Clark, but what it meant to be a Clark. You know, and these these moments. I remember one really specific moment where my dad told me that we were driving down the road, and he said, "You know, Jason, uh, my." My number one responsibility as a dad is, is is that you would have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that, that you would go further than me uh, in that relationship. And if you don't, I've been a failure as a father. Now he doesn't remember that, but that was a mile marker in my life, a, a revelatory moment where I became even more aware of what it meant to be a Clark, what it meant to be his son, what it meant to be in the family. And as you said, it's that journey. And, and, and your maturity is, is, he's always speaking to that maturity and that place of 
uh, released grace. I, I just love that you say, hey, let's make room for this. Like, let's make a moment in a service where, where you actually respond, where this can be a mile marker in your life of getting it, getting a greater revelation of how he thinks, moves, and has his being. I love it, bro. I, and, the, and a question, and you can say anything to all three of these areas, but the question is this. You, 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 I would love you to articulate new covenant, oh, yeah. old covenant. Yeah. And then dive into grace, because I know you. I mean, I know you. you you're a walking revelation on this. Well, I got a fr- I got a fresh revelation that I actually have not articulated. Um, I think publicly until until now, Woo-hoo. and this is this is a new, but but this is kind of help to answer answer that question. Another question. We'll talk a little bit about new covenant here, and 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 how it is that you know I make a decision for what he's already decided. Yeah, uh, I love it. So we we. Uh, Romans 8, we have received the spirit of adoption, not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we've been adopted. Now, even if I've been adopted, I still feel a little bit lesser than because you have your natural born kids and then you have the adopted kids. Now, the parent will say, well, adopted means chosen. So that makes you super special. <laughs> and you know, we understand, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. You're patronizing me a little bit, your dad. And I, you know, but I still feel kind of weird calling you dad because, you know, I'm not born into the family. But here's the thing with adoption in, in the spirit is that he adopts us because of what Christ has done. You see it in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that says, by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And, and then it says four things he became for us. And all four things of those things, oddly enough, religion tries to get us to work to obtain. But, but 1 Corinthians 1.30. By his doing, we're in Christ. That's the spirit of adoption. We receive that spirit of adoption. But here's the other part of it. And that is we also get to be born. Hmm. I, I saw this just, just recently where I realized if I'm adopted, I might feel lesser than because I wasn't born into the family. Right. And if I feel just born into the family, then I realize I really wasn't chosen. I didn't have a hand in the matter at all. I realized, wait a minute, in Christ, it encompasses both things. Wow. You know, when Jesus said, Demas, you must be born again, he basically was giving us the, the, the paradigm that it is possible for you to actually experience a new birth <laughs> into this family. But not only that, you're, you're, you're going to be invited to be born into this family because you've already been adopted into this family. So in Christ, we're included so deeply that we're both adopted and we're born into it. Wow. How much more in can we be? Oh, but, right? You see what I'm saying? Oh, it's Bill, like, that's good, bro. We're going to realize I'm not I'm not like a lesser than kid because I'm I'm adopted. I essentially, if somebody goes, I don't understand how that works. The spirit of adoption in Christ invites us to to basically by faith receive the fullness of what Christ has done, which essentially gives us a divine blood transfusion, which means I'm literally born into this mm. family that I'm also adopted into. I just, oh man, I about came off my chair when I saw that. So, such a simple and beautiful, beautiful reality. Um, so, New Covenant. Uh, wow. It, it, people will ask me questions that they already know the answers to all the time. And uh, um, not in this so much instance, you know, but, but I'm, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I just, I love just the nature of, hey, Talk about new covenant. Yeah, uh, I can go anywhere, um, but I will have people come and ask me questions that that they have an answer in mind already, and they're trying to figure out if I'm going to agree with their answer. Right, the answer that they've already said. And so, I was in Texas some time ago, and a guy says to me, um, 
you believe we're under law or under grace? And when I get that question, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's certainly not the first time I've gotten it, but I, I realized at that moment, this guy already knows what he thinks. He's just wanting to know what I think to see whether or not he's going to pay any attention to what I say. Mm -hmm. right. And, uh, you know, which is common and happens in church a lot. And so, um, so I said to him, I said, well, well, of course we're under law. And he kind of blinked a little bit because <laughs> that wasn't the answer he was expecting. And, uh, I said, but which law are you talking about? Wow. And now he's like blinking a little bit more. And I said, you know, there's more than one, right? And, uh, <laughs> he, and he's like, I, I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. I said, well, you have the old cus the old, the old, old covenant, the Mosaic law from Exodus 19, 1300 years later, it's done at the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. Right. So, but now we have a new law and it's, it's Romans eight that the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Hmm. So every lawyer will tell you that you get a new law that overturns an old law. The old law is rendered completely useless. Hmm. It's there purely for research so we can see where we used to be wow. and where we've come to. And so the, the new law, I said that we're under, because I realized this guy's looking for some law. So the new law we're under that I completely ascribe to is called the spirit of life in Christ. And the ramifications of that law is that I am legally bound to be free. So then if I live as any other way than free, then I'm actually breaking the law. Well, I want to be a good legalist. So <laughs> I'm stuck being free and I can't be any other way, you know? And so when I, when I start talking about the new covenant, I, I realize that's just an illustration of saying I have to I have to elevate the conversation to, to so so that you know everybody thinks a little bit differently because people will start um, thinking oh new covenant means this new covenant means that right. such a wide wide blanket of things the, the new covenant to me could be summed up in one word and that is kingdom mm. you know when Jesus comes to preach he preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God that's good and the kingdom as Jack Taylor will say. The kingdom is everything. Yeah. It is everything. There is, if it's not in the kingdom, it is nothing. It is the kingdom or it is nothing. Yeah. And the kingdom of God has never been under threat. It has never failed before. It will never fail. And it's not failing now. And when you realize, though, that the kingdom is within you, and that you and I, according to Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 5, we are the kingdom of God, then you realize we truly can never be threatened wow. by any darkness. This this is the defeat of darkness. And that is you know, a defeated devil, because you and I still have the capacity to choose what we think. A defeated devil still has, for whatever reason, been granted the power to speak. And, 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 and speech invites agreement. And what the Bible say, Jesus says that he's the father of lies. Mm. So he cannot speak except that he speaks a lie. It's the only weapon that he has. Yeah. He's been defeated to the point where he has no capacity to utter truth. And again, this is the satanic mindset of the satanic spirit. It's anything out of alignment with the heart of the father. Yes. But even if it sounds religious, even if it's quoting scripture, yeah. if it's out of alignment with the heart of the father, it's not truth. And so, um, you know, it's a mindset that can be adopted, you know, by, you know, anybody really. And so, um, so when I encounter that, I'm now brought into a place where I get to choose, you know, do I want to, do I want to align with, with what the father says, which brings me into a place where I, 
I cannot be moved by a spirit of fear. I realize that, um, you know, Jesus says of himself, I'm the light of the world. Then he looks at us and says, you are the light of the world. Right. And I don't even know, what does that even mean? How do I know how to do that? Well, I realized the one time I'm not being the light of the world is when I walk threatened by darkness. If at any point I find myself feeling threatened by darkness, I have forgotten I'm the light of the world. That's good. And so the new covenant of the kingdom of God that gives us ultimately access to the kingdom of God, it's the means by which we even can live and move and have our being in the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. The new covenant actually makes it possible for us to walk as the light of the world, living without partnering with or coming into agreement with a spirit of fear mm-hmm. in any area of our lives. Uh, it, it, there's two kinds of fear in the Bible, though. Um, and we just grab two Hebrew words. There's the word bakad, and then there's the word yirah. The word bakad is a fear whose objects are imagined. In other words, out there in the future, mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. Good. I'm afraid it might. The word yirah has to do with a present tense encounter with more glory or might or power than you've ever seen before. So you don't have to imagine it. It's happening in the moment. Okay. And there's, there's a couple of verses that uh, people like to quote in regards to the fear of the Lord that are, that are really important, especially from a new covenant lens perspective. And that is, um, one of them is uh, Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. Now, the word's not hot, it's your raw. So essentially what it's saying, it's a, a present tense encounter with the glory of the Lord is the birthplace of all wisdom. You don't have to imagine it it's happening right now. Wow. The other one, uh, the other one is uh, in Psalm 40 that says, uh, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So people will say, you preach the, the impending punishment or wrath of God, and that's how people get saved. That's not what it's saying at all. Right. Again, it's the word law. Mm-hmm. Many will see and fear. Fear. In other words, many will see and be stunned in awe at what they're seeing. As a result of that is they'll put their trust in the Lord. Wow. And you cannot be punished into trust. Mm, that's good. I'm not going to trust if I don't think somebody's good. Yeah. You know, if I think they're going to punish me, they do not have my trust. Yeah. They may have my respect, like I got to respect that power, but I'm not going to trust them. But if I see that they're good <laughs> and I'm in stunned awe at goodness, then I'll put trust in. Hosea 3, 5 um, says in the last days, and here's the last days verse nobody ever quotes. In the last days, nations will come trembling to the Lord and his goodness. Wow. In other words, I'm going to run away in fear, which is what Pekad does, causes us to run away. Yurah makes us, it's like it's like being buzzed for something it's about. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I run towards the Lord, to the, to the Lord. So, this is to me. These are these are phrases and words that, under an old covenant lens perspective, would cause us to believe one thing about our Father. But a new covenant lens perspective tells us something completely different. Like the story you were telling about about your dad, and about you you you've always been a Clark. You just didn't know it. Yeah. And the story of the prodigal son. The the son tries not to be a son, but the father never stops being a father. Yeah. And the father never gets confused about the son's identity, even though the son is super confused. Yeah. And uh, and and so to me, here's here's the the benefit of the kingdom and the new covenant. And we come back to where, where you know we finish where we began, and that is we are on the throne with Him. Okay. We're invited to be seated with the Father on the throne as as His beloved sons and daughters. I mean, we are in and with Him, an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. In him on the throne. Now, 
that posture right there of, of the kingdom, that is the new covenant, wow. uh, a backstage pass that's been granted to us. That is our inheritance in this amazing new covenant reality. And so if I don't see how deeply I am included in him in the new covenant, then, then I don't understand the new covenant. <laughs> I mean, the, the, Every day I'm learning more about what the new covenant did. I mean, what the cross accomplished. I, 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 you know, oh, I could go, I could go until the end of the quarantine on that stuff. (laughs) So, Bill, it's Thomas here. I have a, I guess, a comment and then and a question uh, in regards to what you just said. So, one of the things I heard you say when we were talking about inclusion there is that it's not that inclusion is not this idea that we have to work towards being accepted and embraced but there is i guess if we can use the word work in it that we get to continue to awaken to that inclusion and maybe the work is the quote-unquote work right is the awakening to our embrace our father's embrace is that does that summarize what you were saying there? I, th- I think that's a realization of our, our position. But moving forward, what do we get to do? Yeah. Not that I have to do something, but I get to do something. Yeah, that's good. And, and the getting to do part is that I'm, I'm made in the image and likeness of a creative God who is creator by nature. So therefore, I'm creative. Mm. And I don't know if you, you if you discovered this in this quarantine or not. I've talked to, just talked to some friends today. We were talking about this. But you know, people are like, oh, I don't have to work, you know, anymore. Great. You're right. You don't have to work to be saved. (laughs) But now that, you know, now that you realize you're in the family, it gives you certain rights and privileges to be able to do things that you couldn't do before. Right. You have authority, you have authority and you have power and you have decision-making ability. I mean, Jesus in Luke 9, 1, Matthew 10, 1 says to the disciples, I give you power and I give you authority. It wasn't to do nothing. It was to do something that they previously did not have the ability to do. So good. And I realized this, that you know, the gospel and the grace of God and, and my inclusion in Christ and my acceptance and the finished work of the cross doesn't mean that I do nothing. Right. I, I realize doing nothing is hard work when you've been created for creativity and fruit bearing. Amen. You know, I mean, that yeah. to me, if somebody said, no, 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 you don't ever do anything again. I'd be like. <laughs> Boring. Okay, but let me change the question. Can I? Right. Is there anything that I can do? Now, I've had people say, well, you know, he's done it all. Well, yes, but what is he doing moving forward? Is there anything left to do? I'm re- reading Isaiah 48, 6 and 7 the other day where God uh, says to Isaiah, he goes, I'm doing something new and I'm doing things that are created now and not long ago. Hmm. And when I saw that, I went, wait a minute. It's after the, the creation story. You're still creating. Hmm. You're making new stuff. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say, Things that, um, so that you, as a prophet, speaking Isaiah, couldn't even say, behold, I saw this coming, or behold, I knew this. It's like God, as a father, is essentially maintaining the prerogative to create new stuff that surprises his kids. Wow. wow. I love that. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, can I be Can I be involved in something? Can I, get, I, do- I want in on that, can, man. Can I- yeah, I mean, if, if, I ask, if I ask Jack Taylor, if I say, Jack... Um, uh, what's the gospel in one sentence? And, you know, and Jack will say, uh, God's up to something and he wants you in on it. That's so good. That excites my heart. Yes. Otherwise, otherwise, why, why am I here? 
Well, to glorify God. Yeah, I, I'm here to glorify God. And I don't mean the tone that I said that. I, I heard it when I said it. I, <laughs> I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way, you know, but but to me, I, I feel like if I'm made in the image and likeness of a creative creator, then he's going to invite me into ideas and in, into, into inventions, into things that um, are going to further, uh, further not just the, the, the gospel, but the world in which we live. I was reading the other day, you know, Mendeleev, uh, who uh, back in the 1800s invented the periodic table of elements. If you ask an atheist scientist, hey, where did Mendeleev get that? Mendeleev was a believer and he'd gone to a church service. He comes home and has a dream and wakes up the next morning and writes down what he sees. That's a fact. Mendeleev got the periodic table of elements from a dream after spending time with the Lord. Uh, the guy who invented blockchain is a dear, we come to today's world. The guy who invented blockchain, the means by which we even have any cryptocurrency at all, yeah. is a dear friend of, uh, of a friend of ours that attends our church here. And uh, she says, you know where he got that? He got that from the download from, from a time of prayer with God. Wow. I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, you're, down, you're looking for people whose hearts are open to be a, a canvas of creativity yeah. that you can do some mm. amazing new things with. And to me, that excites me. The idea of doing nothing. Yes. I like the idea of doing nothing to try to become a child of God. Yes. But I, I am, that, that's a great idea. And some people have gone as far as that. Here, here's another idea. Because we've been brought in, because of his desire and his blood and his choice and his decision and his will and his love, we've been brought in. Because of all of that, I am now empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things I never could do before. That is like another level of exciting to me. (laughs) Dude, that's so good. That's so good. Um, I know we've been on here an hour so. Um, Thomas, we, we, we got a few other questions. You, you all right on time? I am. I'm great. We can keep going. Okay. <laughs> and we did keep going almost for another hour. And all of it just as incredible as this. Went ahead and broke them up into two podcasts just because of the length. So if you want to hear part two, you can. It's online. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it encouraged. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. If you guys want to subscribe to this podcast, please do. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. Anywhere you might listen and, to podcasts. And leave a review. Leave a review. Also, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, um, you can go uh, to, uh, I know this man has a Twitter account. Uh, we both do. 160 followers. Nice. It's very active. It's about to skyrocket. Um, and if you want to find us uh, online, we're at afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org. Also, you can reach me there if you want to get a hold of us for any reason at jason at afamilystory.org. We're excited that you guys are on this journey with us and we look forward to releasing more content. Yeah, thanks. See you.